Good morning. Happy New Year. Happy 2020. Did you, thank you. Did you make a New Year's resolution? Okay, raise your hand if you made a New Year's resolution. Wait, really? Wait, seriously, okay. Raise your hand if you made a New Year's resolution. You resolved to do something differently this year. Okay. A Harris poll last year in 2019 found that the top New Year's resolutions for the year were, ready? Number 10, set aside time for myself. Number nine, stop procrastinating. (laughs) Set aside time for myself and do it now. Okay, number eight, improve a relationship. Number seven, stop smoking. Number six, be less stressed. I don't know how you resolve to do that. That's like resolving to fall in love or something like that. Like, I'm going to fall in love this year for sure. Okay, I'm sorry. Going on, number five, eat healthier. That's good. Number four, get a better job. Number three, exercise. Number two, improve finances. And number one, lose weight. A few years ago, a journal on clinical psychology from the University of Scranton uh, found that 75% of New Year's resolutions are kept for at least one week, which, if you're following the math, means that 25% of New Year's resolutions don't make it a week. And we're at January 5th which means there's probably a handful of you that have already failed your New Year's resolution, which is why you didn't raise your hand and admit that you had made one in the first place. That's okay. There's grace. You're okay. You're okay. But that is funny. Um, Normally, we start the year making some kind of a resolution about ourselves, how we're going to live, something that will make our lives better, Uh, sleep more, eat better, exercise more, something like that. But for 2020, I want to invite you to join me in making a New Year's revolution. And I'm going to explain the difference between a, a resolution and a revolution. One key difference between a, a resolution and a revolution is that resolutions deal with actions. Are you hearing a ringing while I talk? Okay, Mitchell, could you turn me down a little bit? Because I would rather yell than whisper. That's this kind of sermon that you're in for. Aren't you glad you came? (laughs) A resolution versus a revolution. A resolution is going to deal with action. It's going to be about what you do. Okay? A revolution has to go deeper than that. A revolution is about changing the way that you think, the way that you feel. A revolution is going to engage your heart and engage your values. So let me give you an example. Values. Yes, okay. So let me give you an example. 
Um, a good New Year's resolution would be to eat healthier, right? That's an action, and it's a good action. I want to eat healthier. But the revolution version of that would be to care about the way my body feels, to care about my health at all. So if you, if you go from being somebody who just... You know, you do whatever you want. You eat whatever you want. You, 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 you exercise or don't however you want. You, 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 you surf the couch as much as you want. You don't really care about how your body, how healthy your body is. You really don't. You, you, you really don't. You just don't care. A resolution would be, I'm going to do something for my health. I'm going to eat better. But a, a, a revolutionary version of what's healthy for you would be, I'm going to care about my body. I'm going to actually start caring about the way that I feel, the way that how healthy I am. That's going to come out in the way that I exercise and the way that I act, the way that I that, that eat and what, what I eat and what I drink and things like that. But it starts with your heart. A revolution is go, engages your values. It engages your heart. And it turns out the gospel is all about us joining Jesus in a revolution that changes our attitude, that changes our heart, that that transforms our mind and makes us like Jesus. The gospel is a revolution. Have you read the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus came to turn the world upside down, and that starts in our hearts. Jesus calls us into a revolution. And when we join Jesus, the Bible describes what we're doing when we, when we give our lives to Jesus as dying to ourselves and becoming alive with a new life in Christ. We don't just act differently. We are different. In our very soul, we are changed. The gospel is revolutionary. We're transformed deeply within. We are given the Holy Spirit, and we are called to go on a mission. As Jesus was ascending into heaven, the very last thing he said to his followers was, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded with you. And behold, I am with you always. Jesus' last instruction for us we call the great commission and it is revolutionary because he's given us this new calling and this new heart he's transformed us and called us to act on that this new life we've been given it's not about us amen it is not about us it's about jesus and this mission that we're on it's not about us it's about us helping others. It's about reaching people with the good news and helping believers follow Jesus better and better and better. Amen? And so while resolutions are typically, this is number two, resolutions are typically about me, a revolution like the gospel is about others. So normally we start off the year by making a resolution to do something that's good for me to do something that makes my life better. But for 2020, I want us, me and you 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 and all of us to make a commitment 
to a revolutionary year to change our hearts, to change our attitudes, to not be about us, but to be about others this year. And this isn't anything unusual. This is what the gospel is all about, what it's always been about, what the church has always been about is this revolutionary idea that if I die to myself and give my life to Jesus, that I'll have eternal life. And if I die to myself and I commit my life to following Jesus, he will change my heart. He will change my values. Our actions will change as a result of that. But it's not about our actions. The Bible is not about do this and do that and do this and do that. The gospel is about your heart. And it's about having a heart that doesn't say, what about me? It's having a heart that says, what's good for Jesus? What's good for the gospel? What's good for the church? What's good for the kingdom of God? That's what we care about. That's what we love. That's what motivates us. That's what pushes us as we move ahead. This year is going to be about Jesus. This year is going to be about others. This year is going to be about the gospel. Like every year should be, but this year I want us together to make a commitment to have a revolutionary a gospel year where we're committing ourselves to following Jesus as best we can and to loving him, to loving him like we should. We've set a goal for this year our goal isn't about an action, and it's not about us. We're going to set a goal this year that has to start in our hearts. It has to come from deep within us. It, is, it, it will come out in our actions, but it has to happen in our soul. And we're going to need Jesus every step of the way. This won't be possible without him, but... Primarily, we need him doing something revolutionary in us because our goal for 2020 is to baptize 20 people. As far as I know, that's more than this church has ever baptized in a single year, as far as I can tell by looking through the records. But that's not the point. And you know what? The number 20 is not the point. We don't get notches in our belt or anything like that. The goal is to be of one mind in one heart, to have one mission. Like the Bible says, to be in one accord and to have one purpose. And that's to make disciples. Because I love adding new members into the church. But the mission of the church is to reach people with the good news that Jesus loves you and wants to forgive you. And if you give your life to him, he's going to give you eternal life. And then to taking those people, people like us, and helping them grow into the image of Christ. That's the mission of the church. I love adding new members because it's a, it's a great uh, affirmation for me, a confirmation that, that God is blessing what we're doing and that we're headed on the right track, that, that, that we're going the right direction. But the mission is not to find other Christians and to add them into our, into our church. The mission is to find people that don't know Christ and to share the gospel with them and then help them grow to be like Jesus. 
And so our goal for this year is to baptize 20. Because baptizing 20 in 2020 sounds pretty good. But really, the goal is not 20. Jesus is going to do whatever he wants to do. Our goal, our responsibility is to be of one mind, one heart, one mission. That every meeting that we have, every committee meeting, every leadership meeting, every staff meeting, every Sunday morning when we get together will be about that, will be about baptizing 20 people in the name of Jesus. That's revolutionary, I think, because that's the gospel and that's the nature of the gospel. I want us to desperately want to see people give their lives to Jesus this year. Okay, hear that. I want us to desperately want to see people give their lives to Jesus this year. I want us to want nothing more than to see people give their lives to Jesus this year. Nothing more, nothing else is important. I will give up everything to see somebody give their life to Jesus. I will make a fool out of myself in this world to see somebody give their life to Jesus. I will invest everything that I have to see somebody give their life to Jesus. I will invite a friend. I will invite an enemy. I will invite a family member. I will share the gospel. I will serve. I will do whatever it takes to see people's lives changed by Jesus Christ. I want us to want that with all of our hearts, with all of our hearts, because that's what Jesus did for me. And that's what Jesus did for you. Is he loved you so much that he climbed up on that cross and he gave everything for you and for me. And he's done that for the people that we know that don't know he's done that. Do you want to see people give their lives to Jesus this year? I want you to desperately want it. To sacrificially want it. To be willing to do whatever it takes to get there. Because that's how we know. That's how we know that the Holy Spirit is within us. Because that's what Jesus wants. Because that's what Jesus did. But this kind of a revolution, it has to start in our hearts. It starts with our values. It starts about caring the right way. And so we're going to start there too. We're going to let the Bible tell us where our hearts should be. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some heart issues, and we're going to recommit ourselves to wanting the same thing that Jesus wants. Amen? Is that what you want? Do you want to be in lockstep with Jesus Christ? Do you want to want what he wants? Because it's going to take some heart surgery. We're going to have to dig, and I'm sorry, we're going to have to poke at some things that are that we are defensive about. And I don't do that because I want to. Sometimes I feel like the dentist a little bit, where I'm like, I know, I know. It's going to pinch a little bit. But it's good for you. We, we do this because this is what Jesus has called us to do, and we love each other enough to have hard conversations. Amen? 
In light of that, our hard issue for today is money. I haven't actually started my sermon yet. So um, if you can get your Bibles out, actually, leave your Bibles away. We'll get them out later, don't worry. But for right now, leave your Bibles. Did you know there are over 2,000 passages in the Bible that deal directly with money as a spiritual resource? It's a lot. In all four Gospels, Jesus talked more about money than he talked about heaven and hell combined. In fact, two-thirds of the stories that Jesus told Stories meant to instruct and guide us spiritually make reference to money. Two-thirds comes up a lot. Money is spiritually important. It is. It just is. So let's try something. Um, Take out your wallet or your checkbook, your purse, pocketbook. I'm doing it. You do it too. Don't resist. Jesus loves you. Just follow me down this path. Get your wallet out. I want you to hold it, touch it, feel it, love it. Show it off. I've had this one for, well, I've got both of the the visitor passes for when both of my sons were born. The little stickers they give you at the hospital, I've got both of them stuck inside my wallet. (laughs) I don't think I could get them out if I wanted to, but I don't want to. I like seeing them. You got it? Are you holding it? Have you heard of a trust fall? A trust fall. It's a team building exercise. It's when uh, somebody, uh, somebody stands and there are people behind you and then you fall back and you trust that the people behind you are going to catch you. It's called, it's a, called a, a trust fall. It's a team building thing. Well, let's do a little team building. Let's try a trust pass. I want you to pass your, your, your money machine, whatever, whatever it is, pass it to someone next to you. Take it. Don't look at me like that. Just take it. <laughs> hand it to somebody. Hand it to someone else. Let someone else hold your money. Hand it. Pass it. Go ahead. Go ahead. There you go. I see you. Try not to let it go too far, like six degrees of separation. We don't want to lose it. Okay. Now, here's what we're going to do. Chuck and Ula are in the back. We're going to take up an offering. And I want you to give like you've always wanted to. Take your generosity to the next level this morning. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead and give it back. Give it back. Pass it back. Everyone's worried. When I can see your sweat beating up on your forehead, I've gone too far. I'm sorry. Do you have it back? Does it feel better? Feel better about having it back? Your money is a hard thing to let go of, isn't it? Some of you, I noticed, didn't even participate. But you helped prove my point anyway, that your money is a hard thing to let go of. It's important to you. It's important to Jesus also. But the Bible is very clear about money, in particular, how we should feel about money and the connection between our finances and our heart. 
Now you can get out your Bibles. If you're using the red ones under the seats, we're going to be on uh, page 811, which is Matthew 6, 19. So open your Bibles to Matthew 6, 19. This is the main passage we're going to use this morning. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. And this is what Jesus said about your heart and your money. He said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now I want you to look carefully at verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I want to observe that this passage is telling you, it's telling us, Jesus is telling us, that your affections and your treasures will always be together. You following that? Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. That's where your heart will be also. Your, your affection, your heart, your values, and your treasure, your money, they're always in the same spot. They're always in the same place. And while you might find it hard to send your heart somewhere it doesn't already belong, you can send your treasures somewhere and your heart will follow because your heart and your treasures are always in the same place. Your heart ends up where your money is. And so the way I wrote it in your outline is that money is the catalyst for heart change. Now, this is very spiritually important and, and, and follow me because if, if I... If, if I can look in your bank statement or your checkbook, I can find out where your heart is. That's what Jesus says. I can look and find out the things that you love, where your heart is by following the money. It's like a, it's like a movie, right? Like we just follow the money. I can follow the money and find out what you love. But the crazy thing is, is that you can change that. You can't just start loving something that you don't already love, but you can send your money ahead and your heart will change. Let me give you, let me give you a, a wonderful example. You ready? I love the Seahawks. They're playing today. You probably don't love the Seahawks. Amen? Amen. <laughs> now imagine you took half, 50% of everything you own, and you invested that in the Seahawks. Let's say you, played a, you, you placed a bet that the Seahawks are going to win their game today, and you bet half of everything you own that the Seahawks were going to win their game today. Guess who suddenly cares a lot about the Seahawks? You. 
Because your heart follows your money. You would all of a sudden start caring about something that you really didn't care much about before. Jesus is saying that you can use that for your spiritual benefit. That you can send your money not, uh, not to things that are going to be destroyed and ruined or going to be gone. I, I love the quote from John D. Rockefeller's accountant. Have you heard this one? That after, uh, after uh, news came out that Rockefeller had died, someone asked his accountant, how much did, did John leave behind? He goes, all of it. Jesus is saying that you can invest what you have today in this life right now on things that are eternal, on things that, that, that won't go bad. And if you do that, you'll care about those things. Those are the things that you'll care about, and that's where your heart will be. You can change the way that you feel using your money. Money is spiritually important for us. You can change how you feel about heaven. You can change how you feel about church. But how should I feel about heaven? How should you feel about the things of God? I'm glad you asked. Thank you for asking. Christmas was a couple weeks ago. And I want to do a little thought experiment with you. Let's say someone gave you a metal detector. You know what I'm talking about? Metal detector? I know you do, but just... You know what I'm talking about? Beep, beep, beep. Let's say you take your metal detector and you go out behind your house, you walk through this trail, you find some field, and you're, you're just wandering, right? Because you're just looking and you're beep, beep, beep. And you end up in this field and then it goes beep, 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 beep. Beep, 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 beep. And you start looking and you find a really nice old ring. And then you beep, 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 beep. And you find a couple really nice watches really close by. And then you beep, 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 beep. And as you dig, you start finding gold coins. And you find, you, it doesn't take long to discover this whole field is just covered in buried treasure. The whole thing. And you're looking at this field and you're going, there's literally gold like every step. There's stuff all over the place. It's everywhere. I, I take a few steps over here and I just, yeah, there's more. Yeah, there's more. It's everywhere. What do you do? You try to remember where it is, right? <laughs> How did I get here? Where am I? Whose house is that? And then you go home and you make a phone call or you go on Google. You do some research. You try to figure out who owns that field, right? Is there some story there? There's something going on? It's, you know, it's part of a trick or like something everyone knows about? Like what's going on there? And you find the owner of the property and you make them an offer, right? 
You're trying to buy the land, right? That land's covered in gold. You're trying to buy it, right? See, I told you I wanted to be able to yell. You want to buy it, right? What are you going to spend? If you end up talking to the land owner and they're going, oh yeah, it's in my family's, I guess I have the deed to it. I'm not planning on using it. You know, it's a millennial, right? <laughs> I guess it's mine. I'm a, I'm a millennial, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, I'll make you an offer. How much are you going to offer for this land? How much would you offer? Everything, right? Everything you have. It's worth more than everything that you have. Uh, you know, I'll, I, how much do I have in the bank? Plus, how much can I get for selling my car? Plus, how much can I get for selling my house? Plus, how much can I get for selling my children? <laughs> the potty training one's half off. <laughs> you, you would spend, if, the, if you wandered into a field that was covered in money, you would, you would spend everything, you would offer everything that you have to buy that because it's worth more than what you have. It's obvious. It's obvious. And that was the point that Jesus was making when he told that story in Matthew 13, 44. Here's what it says. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man, a man found, he covered up, and then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Heaven is so incredibly valuable that you wouldn't think twice about giving up everything for it. That's what Jesus is saying. Just like that buried treasure in the field, and just like that treasure in the field, all, it makes all the other treasures in this world look like nothing. Your bank account looks like it looks silly compared to this field full of treasure. It just looks silly. If you could buy a field full of treasure for what you have in the bank, you wouldn't think twice about it. That's the point that Jesus is making. All treasures in this world will fade away, they'll spoil, they'll get stolen, they'll break, but treasures in heaven are forever. If you could buy a car for $20,000, how long will that car last? Unless Eloy owns it or something, right? How long will a car normally last? Let's say 15 years before it's, 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 it's gone too far, you can't keep it anymore, you have to give it to Eloy so he can fix it up. 15 years. Now imagine investing $20,000 on something that will last absolutely forever. Imagine fishing line. We used to have fishing line that was randomly hanging around here. I don't think we have any anymore. But imagine fishing line that is hung up in the corner and is going out that door, and then it goes out that door, and then it goes out 
past the bus barn, and then it goes out past Camino, and it goes past Juan Tabo, and it goes past the river, and it goes past the city. And it just keeps going, and you can't find the end of it. Now imagine that, that line. Now imagine I take a Sharpie, and I go, bonk, and I make a little, a little dot on that line. That's your life. The beginning of the black spot to the end of the black spot. That is the, the years that you get in this life, and the line is eternity. You're, you could buy something here. You can invest your money here. You can spend money on things here, and we do all the time. But they, they break. They spoil. They go bad. They get stolen. If you can invest something that will have an eternal impact, it lasts forever. And so Jesus says, don't invest in the things that are going to break and spoil and get stolen. Invest in the things that you're going to find in heaven when you get there. Because those are the things that last forever. It's obvious that that's the best investment. But we're born into this world wanting to accumulate more and more stuff, more, bigger, better, newer stuff. That's what we want. But when you give your life to Jesus, he changes that. He gives you a new heart. And then look at this passage. In his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. That means, this is in your bulletin, that God's people find their joy in heavenly investments. God's people get excited about investing in eternity. God's people get excited about buying that field. God's people get creative about how to buy that field. God's people rejoice when we find something else that we can invest in for God's glory. We find joy in what God is doing. So now the question is, how do I invest in heaven? The answer is pretty simple. What you give to the work of God here on earth is credited to your eternal account. And I don't like thinking about it in terms of accounts. But let me give you some biblical examples. You're going to want to write these down. I didn't put them in your outline. You can look them up later. In Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, Jesus said, if you're going to throw a party, don't invite wealthy people to your party. Invite the poor so that God rewards you later in heaven. Do something good for God here, and God will reward you later in heaven. That, I'm calling that your eternal account. Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 to 17. The Philippians had helped Paul financially, and, and Paul says that they'll get a reward for God, from God for what they've done for him. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 to 19. Tim, uh, Paul tells Timothy, tell people who are rich in this world to care more about God than their money 
and tell them to do good so that they can have something going for them in the future. The Bible is full of examples of if we do something good for God now, there is a reward waiting for us later in heaven. And the, the, the passage this morning from Matthew 6, don't lay up treasures here. Don't buy stuff and stick it in your garage. Don't buy stuff and more stuff and more stuff so that you've laid up treasures. You've accumulated treasures for yourself here in this world. Do that in heaven You do that by doing God's work here that has an eternal impact that you're going to find is still true when you get to heaven. If you've ever been on a missions trip, when you go on a missions trip and you serve God and you share the gospel and you love those people that are there, and you know, you know that that has an eternal impact that maybe not everyone that you talked to is, is, is giving their lives to Jesus all in that one moment, but that what you're doing matters. That you're planting a seed or you're watering a seed that was already there, that you're doing things that matter for Jesus. If you do that same thing here, you share the gospel, you show someone love, you, you tell them about Christ's love, you tell them about forgiveness, you invite them to church, You serve them, you love them, you go the extra mile, you turn the other cheek, you do things for the good of of Jesus, for the good of the kingdom. Those things have an eternal impact. You might never, ever in your entire life get to sit down and watch someone fall to their knees and give their lives to Jesus right in front of you. But that's not your job. Your responsibility is to love them and to share the gospel with them, to be there for them, and to encourage them. There was a, um, one of the f- a former presidents of the Southern Baptist Convention. His name was Bobby Welch. And um, he, uh, he told me a story one time. He said that he was out at a, an Air Force base um, on the East Coast one time. And uh, actually, let me tell the story a different way. He was at a conference late, late in, his, in his career, and he was speaking, and someone came up to him after the conference and said, and said oh, you know, Dr. Welch, it's so good, it's so good to meet you. I'm so glad that you're here. Um, and, and he said, oh, yeah, it's good to see you. And the guy was talking like they knew each other, but Bobby was going... I have no idea who you are. But he didn't say that. was just thinking, I, have no, I don't know who this guy is. And he said, I'm sorry, where do, I, you know, where do I know you from? That's the nice way of saying I don't remember you at all. Um, he said, where do I know you from? And this guy said, well, remember when you came out to the Air Force Base? Um, and he goes, oh, yeah. And he goes, and, and you had a tour and, you know, uh, all over the, the base. And he goes, I do, I do. I do remember that, but... I don't remember you, to be honest. And he goes, well, you came out to the base and, and you shared the gospel and, and, and I, I gave my life to Jesus that, that same day. And I went, and he, Bobby goes, I just don't remember you, I'm sorry. And, and he goes, oh, no, 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 that makes sense. You were sharing the gospel with 
the guy that was driving the Humvee, uh, I was in the back. I was just listening. You don't know the eternal impact that you have until you get to heaven and find out all the lives that were changed because of your faithfulness. You just don't know. I don't know. We have no idea. But the point is to make that investment. The point is to spend that time. The point is to care about it and to want those things and to be faithful and let Jesus take care of the rest, amen? You let Jesus take care of the rest. But the whole idea is to invest what you have here in the things of God that will last forever. And if you do that, Jesus says that your heart will change. Maybe you already love Jesus. I hope that you do. But your heart will follow your money. It's just true. And I'm not saying that because we're behind on budget, we were barely able to turn the lights on or something like that. God has blessed this church I'm saying that to you for your spiritual benefit, that you will grow closer to Christ if you spend more on the things that are honoring to Christ. It's just true. And it's my job to tell you. Now, the biblical standard of faithful giving is 10%. But this is about your heart. If you don't give anything to God's work here, I'm inviting you to do something revolutionary. If your heart's not in it, put your money in it. Give regularly to the church and watch your heart change. How you feel about it will change. It's what the Bible says. We know that it's true. And you will start caring about the things that are going on in the church. You'll start caring about God's will in this world. You'll start caring about how you live for Christ if you're invested in it. If you already give to what God's doing here, I'm challenging you to give like it's the best thing that you could possibly do with your money. Because it is. Give like we're buying a field full of buried treasure. Give like Jesus is doing things here that will last forever, because he is. Increase your giving and watch your heart change. Your heart will be where your money is, so invest in heaven. And if you invest in heaven, that's where your heart will be. That's how it works. Your heart will be bound up and in love with heavenly things, in love with what the church is doing, excited and filled with joy to see God move in the church. Have you ever in your life been excited about the announcements? So imagine this. Imagine the difference with how you would care about the announcements if you were fully invested in what Jesus is doing through this church. If your heart was in love, deeply, passionately, revolutionarily in love with what this church is doing, 
And John comes up and says, teenagers is meeting on Thursday. Praise God. Praise God that our church has a ministry for our senior adults and everyone else. Praise God. What a cool thing to have. What a great thing to have. What an important thing to invest in. And teenagers is providing the Frito pies. What does that mean? It means part of the money that you give to this church is going to end up going to buying Frito pies. Praise God. Because that allows you to go to your neighbor and to say, our church is serving free Frito pies. You should come. Praise the Lord that our church offers opportunities for you to do stuff like that. Amen? Amen. Praise God that teenagers is meeting. Praise God a a, a guy like Dr. Cohn is preaching, probably, (laughs) at teenagers on Thursday. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Praise God we're having a a luncheon for for newcomers who've been coming to, to Monterey. Praise God that we do something like that, that my wife and I open our, have a home that we're able to open up to people who just want to come and ask some questions and find out what, what God's doing here at our church. Praise God that we're able to do that. Amen? Amen? Praise God. Look on the back of your bulletin. Praise God that we gave almost $15,000 to international missions this year. Praise God. That could have bought a car, but we made an eternal investment that honors Jesus. And I want our hearts to be there. I want our hearts to be here in this church. I want our hearts to be overseas with those missionaries. I want our hearts to be with the local church planters. I want our hearts to be in this local community. We invest in those things because where our treasure is, that's where our heart is. Imagine getting excited about the announcements because you love the church so much. What a crazy thing to get excited about. But that's my, that's my desire for us this year is give like this is the best thing to give to because I believe with all of my heart that for us, Jesus has placed us here because he wants us to be here. He wants us to serve here. He wants us to fellowship here. He wants us to give here. And give like it's the best thing that you could possibly do with a buck. So I believe that it is. Not necessarily for today, this moment in time, but for eternity. That's what we're talking about. So let's do a trust pass with our money. Let's let God tell us what to do with our money. Let's trust him with our finances. And let's start our new year in this revolution to reach people in the name of Jesus. Let's let it start somewhere in our heart where our hearts are just in love with everything that the church is doing and we're investing in that financially. Let's recommit ourselves to the gospel which pushes us to do crazy things like, like buy this field. It's full of buried treasure. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus.